you'll turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, please. It's page 944 uh, in the Pew Bible. In John 3.16, Jesus tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Now, these words to a great extent, are amplified here by Paul in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. What Paul is telling us is in our fight against sin that God has, and through Christ, has given us the spirit of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus. And that spirit of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, it is through this that we triumph over the law of sin and death. And then secondly, that through the spirit of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to eventually give resurrection life to our mortal bodies in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, that the spirit of eternal life in Christ Jesus is to make us adopted sons and daughters. We'll experience this in this world and then in the world to come. And because of this adoption that's in our lives in times of testing and trial, we'll know intuitively, instinctively what we're to do. We're to cry out to our Heavenly Father with the words of Abba, Father, help me. So follow with me as I read these words from Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now the grass withers and the flower of the grass falls to the ground, but the word of God is here for our comfort, our direction, our encouragement in this life and in that life which is to come. When we look in this passage of Scripture, we see it begins with, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is the gospel good news that we see uh, announced by Jesus himself there in chapter 3. And these are the things that we are to comfort ourselves with at all times. We need to be constantly reminded as we live the Christian life and all of its ups and downs, that no matter what comes into our life as we're followers of Christ, we can always have this confidence that there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Now the reason for this is, in verse 2, we're told that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now when we look at this word here, life in verse 2. It says, for the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, what this is telling us is this, that there was this man, Jesus, who we know the whole gospel story of, and we know how at the end of his life he suffered on the cross as a payment for our sins, how he was crucified, dead, and buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead, but then after a period of time he ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He was enthroned there at the right hand of his Father in the place of all power and all authority. Now that's what has happened to Christ Jesus the Lord. And we, we gloss over that and we miss the, the significance of that, but is because that he is the possessor of now eternal life and everlasting life, that he by his Holy Spirit sends that life into our life. Now, what is being talked about here again in the sense of the spirit of this eternal life which is in Christ Jesus is absolutely unique. And we need to understand how unique that is because it has its bearing on how we're going to think of the Holy Spirit bringing that life into our life day by day. Now, Chip uses an illustration repeatedly of Roger Bannister. 
Now I want to ask, now how many of you remember Roger Bannister illustrations? All right, the rest of you have been asleep. So I want you to wake up now. Roger Bannister, Chip would tell you, he was an Englishman. And until the time of Roger Bannister, nobody had ever breathed the rarefied air of running a sub four minute mile. And then one day, Roger Bannister achieved this. He ran a mile in under four minutes, something that had never occurred before. But you remember what happened within just a few months after that? Why, a number of men, athletes, went ahead, and because that threshold had been broken, punctured, and burst, then others began to run these sub-four-minute miles, and it, 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 what had seemed unheard of, well, it became something that was rather commonplace. Now, Jesus. Jesus has done something that no other mortal man has done. In his body, he has ascended into heaven. No one has done that but Jesus. And Jesus, as a human person, has also taken his seat of enthronement at the right hand of God. He has become the possessor of a different quality and kind of life than the life that he enjoyed in his earthly life. In that earthly life, he had a life like yours and mine. But as a result of his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, he is now living an eternal kind of life, a life that is fit for being directly in the presence of God and directly and fully in the service of God. And that life is a life that transcends the life that we have right here and right now. Jesus has accomplished that. Now, as a first fruits of that, he then has sent the Holy Spirit as the spirit of this eternal life, and he sent it into us as believers in, and followers of him in the walk of our Christian faith that we live day by day. That's what we possess in Christ Jesus. And so, as a result of this, because we possess that which we would aim for, then we no longer need to be concerned about law, and especially the law of sin. Because the law of sin has been transcended by Jesus, and the law of sin has been transcended in us by the gift to us of this eternal kind of life that is in Christ Jesus that has come to take its abode in us. And not only the law of sin, but the law of death. We know that as a result of this Holy Spirit coming into us and bringing Jesus' life into us, that we will never die and we will never perish eternally, but rather we have all that we could ever hope to achieve in this life, in our relationship with God. We possess 
eternal life and the first fruits of that today in us. Now, what Paul wants us to see here is that this is the strong motivation that we need to have in order as we live in a life of, of sinful world, in a life of temptation, in a life of all manner of things that we see in and around us each and every day in our fallen culture, all of that that we see we are able to overcome because we have the Spirit working in us at all times. Let me give you an illustration about condemnation. Chuck Colson, we're here in the time of pre-election. You remember that pre-election years ago when Richard Nixon was going for a second term? And there were some people that broke into a building in Washington called Watergate, and you remember that that then brought a man named Chuck Colson into conflict with the law, and as the hatchet man of the White House, he was convicted of a federal crime, sent to a federal penitentiary in Florida, and just before going there, he became a Christian. And you remember on coming out, he wrote a book born again, and then other books. Well, Chuck Colson, as a result of his conversion, and as a result of his time in prison, began to make an annual trip to a, a, a typical prison in one of the states in the United States, and sometimes abroad, but especially on Easter Sunday morning. And on Easter Sunday morning, he would go to a prison and especially he would be taken to death row, and he would make his way around speaking to the death row prisoners under condemnation. Now, one day in South Carolina, in Columbia, he was taken uh, to the death row, and he was making his way speaking to various prisoners, and some of these men were actually uh, already Christians. And he came to this one particular cell and the warden told them that this was not going to be a good experience. And so when he came to the cell and he looked in, he saw what the warden meant. He could not see anyone. It was like there wasn't anybody in the cell. But right in the middle of the cell, there was a heap. In the heap was old, smelly clothing, old, smelly bed linen, old magazines, old newspapers, and all manner of stuff in sort of a flat, large pile. And underneath it was the particular death row inmate. Well, Chuck Colson tried to speak with the man. And as Chuck said he began to speak with him, he noticed that this heap never even fluttered. It remained constantly identical as he looked at it. And he kept trying to break through and to make communications with the man as he was talking to the man here about Jesus. And nothing was happening. And finally, Colson became overwhelmed with emotion. And he began to cry and he began to weep and in his voice was faltering and he gave up. 
And as he gave up and he started to move away from the cell, here's what he said. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Well, that experience shook him. And he didn't get away from that. But a number of months later, maybe more than a year, I don't remember the exact time, he came back. And he came back, and he was to go visit death row. It wasn't on Easter, but he made his way down death row, and the warden said, you're going to be really surprised. Well, when he came to the same cell that this man had been in under this mess, here was this man in there, and he was standing at the cell. He was not holding the bars. He was looking out. He was standing straight up. He was as neat as a pin, as was every aspect of the cell. The man had come to faith in Jesus. The man had been being discipled in that prison uh, by other inmates and other Christian workers. And during this period of time, this man standing under this condemnation had been completely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Although still on death row, he had passed from condemnation into life. They spoke with each other, they prayed with each other, and what do you think the man said as Chuck Colson moved away from his cell? Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. In Jesus, there is no condemnation because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That needs to be our confidence throughout our life in everything that we do. Now, the second thing that I would want us to see is that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is going to give resurrection life eternal life bodily into our mortal bodies. And you begin to see this in verses 9 through 11. And again, this is to be a motivation for us in our fighting against the temptations that we face daily. And it is to be a motivation for us to do those things that we know are pleasing to the Lord each and every day and all throughout the day. So he says, we're not in the flesh, but we're in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in us. And then he says, if Christ is in you, now notice what it's saying here in verse 10, please. If the spirit of Christ is in you, though the body is dead. Now, if you would want to make a little note there, the idea is your body is mortal. Now, we've got any number of people in this church right now who are experiencing mortality. Their lives are coming to a physical end. The result of our sin, the sin that is in the world, our bodies become from birth mortal. And so what Paul is saying here is, though the body is mortal because of sin, yet the spirit is life 
because of the righteousness of Christ. In other words, there is life in Christ because of his righteousness. And now he goes on and speaks of what this means for us, what it means for us to be in Christ. Now, look at it again like this. What is this all speaking about here? If we could say, what is a good commentary on this whole beginning chapter? It would be something like this, that the Holy Spirit comes to us as believers. The Holy Spirit comes to us as believers to accomplish in us everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. Is there something that Jesus has accomplished? He did not accomplish it for himself. He accomplished it for us who believe. Now, how does that become ours? It becomes ours by the Holy Spirit bringing all of these benefits from Christ Jesus into us as the spirit of eternal life. And so you see what he's saying here in verse 11. If the spirit who of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, there's going to come a point in time, Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ is revealed in glory, then we are going to be revealed in him, with him in glory in a resurrected body. Now, do we get any picture of this? And I think we do. In Mark 9 and in Luke 9, you have the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And in that transfiguration of Jesus, you remember on that mountain, there's Peter, James, and John. But then appearing to Jesus in dazzling white, a picture possibly of what this resurrection business is going to look like, is Moses and there's Elijah. Now, from everything that we can comprehend there, Peter, James, and John know this is Moses. They know this is Elijah. Elijah knows this is Moses. Moses knows this is Elijah. If we could say about the things of God, at least, and the things that were going on in the world at that time with Jesus, these two men, Moses and Elijah, are totally in the know. They're totally cognizant. They're totally up to date. They're there in some kind of a glorified body, and they're there involved in the ministry of Jesus, as Luke says, giving him encouragement concerning his departure or all the things that are a part of his death and resurrection. That's sort of what I think we should think about when we think about this business of us having a resurrected body. The eternal life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death and will eventually give life to our mortal body and then the spirit of eternal life in Christ Jesus 
makes us adopted sons and gives us the ability to call out to God of a father. Now, again, this comes to us. Uh, these verses are found down in verses uh, 15 through 17 in this chapter. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we come into a position where we know that God is Father. Notice here this language of being in some type of issue that we're going to be crying out of a Father. Now, if you would think, where have we seen that language before? We would say, well, we've seen that language in Gethsemane. That's what Jesus did when the hour of acute testing fell upon him. Again, this idea of our battle and struggle against sin, this battle and struggle to live a righteous life. And so here comes this temptation to Jesus, and Jesus cries out to his Father, Abba, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Now, how do we know when the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God? How does that happen in this life? Well, I'm going to give you a quick illustration. From back in about the, somewhere in the 1970s, a couple in Jacksonville, Alabama, went to a grocery store. They were poor. They worked in a cotton mill. They were Christians. They got to this parking lot. It was late at night. In the parking lot, almost pitch black, there was a shopping cart. For some reason, they parked near the shopping cart, and when they got out of the car, sitting in the top of the sh shopping cart was a woman's purse. It was open, like the person had gotten the keys out. They forgot the purse. The purse was literally overflowing with cash. <laughs> now, what did they do? They took the purse with the cash, and they went into the store, and they gave the purse to the manager. The spirit of the Holy Spirit was bearing witness with their spirit. They knew what to do. They knew what not to do. And they did the things that were befitting a follower of Christ. They took the cash, gave it to the manager. The manager found some identification, and the purse was restored to the owner, and they never heard another thing about it. Do you think they're going to hear anything about it? Are there eternal rewards? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. These events happen in your life every day. These events happen in my life every day. It's a choice between a, a kind word or a malicious word, between an action that will hurt or an action that will heal, a, a, a giving ourselves away or a holding ourselves for ourselves. No. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And when things get really, really tough and we don't know what to do, we don't, we're not really sure, then the Holy Spirit comes. And what do we do? 
we find ourselves crying out, Oh God, Heavenly Father, help me. This is what Paul's saying here. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit of Christ Jesus is ruling and reigning in our hearts and minds. Let us take comfort in these things. Let's be thankful for all that God is doing in and for us. And then let us fight against sin and let us fight to establish the righteousness of Christ ever increasingly in all of our conduct and word, thought, and deed. Well, let's pray. Now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're our God. We're your people. Help us to live as becometh the followers of Christ by the power of your Spirit for your honor and glory. We pray in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.